fellowship that's happening. So glad you guys are all here. Happy early Thanksgiving to you guys. So also greetings to those worshiping in the gym over there and also worshiping from home. We are so thankful that we get to gather together as the body of Christ this morning. Now, several announcements for us before we jump into our time of worship this morning. You Hopefully, if you were here last week, heard that we have a free book for you. This comes from the generosity of Crossway Publishers, the publishers behind the English Standard Version. It's the book, Gentle and Lowly, Christ's Heart for Sinners and Sufferers. And so we want you to have that. It's a fantastic book. There's still copies on the table in the back of the sanctuary. There's also some at the table in the lobby of the gym. So if you're on campus, you can grab one. They went fast last week, but we still have a few left. And Hope you'll take that and use some of your free time during the holidays to read that and be encouraged in Christ's love for you. Second announcement this morning is that we have a prayer gathering this afternoon at 4 o'clock. You know we have two opportunities for corporate prayer each week. Well, one is every week at 8 a.m. One is every other Sunday at 4 p.m. here in this room. And so we'd love for you to come back this afternoon at 4 o'clock and join us as we pray for the church family, pray for one another. I'm excited about the time with you guys this afternoon. Now, just for the men, a special opportunity for you coming up. We have an opportunity called Family Shepherds. This is a study of a book from Vody Bauckham called Family Shepherds, How to Lead Your Family Spiritually. And Mark Wilkie, who helps co-teach one of the Sunday school classes, one of our elder nominee candidates, has been doing this back before COVID hit. And he's starting it back this coming December, uh, Saturday, December 12th. So men, mark it on your counter. Be in the gym building at 8 a.m. in room one. It's just a chance to come and get together and talk about how do we better lead our families spiritually. So we'd love for you guys to be involved with that. Also for women, that right around that same time, there's a ladies Christmas fellowship coming up. It's on Monday, December 14th, and that fellowship is an opportunity not only to enjoy time together and have a game night, but it's an ornament swap. And so this is going to be a fun evening, so I hope you'll plan for that, ladies, on the 14th. Now between those two events is an important thing for men and women and kids and everyone alike, and that's our annual business meeting. Now I know that doesn't sound exciting on the surface, right? You know, but we're not your traditional Baptist church that does business meetings all through the year. We do a once-a-year annual members meeting, and this year it's going to be even formatted a little bit differently, and then we're going to have a coffee bar in the room for you, so you can come and get coffee and enjoy desserts and coffee. Yeah, there's some excitement back there, so kids can come with your parents and get, get cookies and coffee and all that stuff, but we want a chance to come together once a year as a church body. We review membership reports. We review the financial health of the church. You get to hear from every ministry area and hear the vision for that area, what's happened this year and where we're headed. And it's a chance for you as the members to ask questions about anything you want to know about in the life of the church. We also approved the 2021 budget that we've been working on as an elder team and the staff for the last month or so. We're excited to be able to give you more details on that. And so I just hope you'll mark your calendars for that. December 13th and Sunday night, 5 p.m. in this room, member meeting with coffee bar and desserts this year. So I hope you will come for that. Now, two other announcements that's exciting in the life of the church. First has to do with our elder nomination process. You guys who are members have been seeing this over recent weeks, but we have a fantastic slate of elder candidates, guys who have been nominated by you, the church body, who met all 10 qualifications in our bylaws, who feel led by God to move forward with the process, and who passed their ordination councils the last two weeks. And so the six men, you see them, I hope you see them up on the screen here in just a second, but the six elder nomination candidates are Greg Teal, Jeff Moody, Mark Wilkie, Rick Steen, Seth Rodebeck, and William Fox. And we'll email you guys more details about it, but we are thrilled to have these six men that you, the church, have nominated who feel called to help shepherd the body here as elders going forward and who can clear the ordination councils with us these last two weeks. I'm thrilled about these six brothers and the potential for joining CJ and I as a team of eight to shepherd this body. And I'm just thrilled what the Lord is doing. So what's next in the process? We've got another slide for it there. December 6th. That's two weeks from today. The service is going to be a little bit different. In lieu of the normal sermon, 
you get to hear all six of their testimonies, which I'm really excited about. And the ordination councils over the last two weeks, I got to hear these brothers, how they came to faith in Christ and their experience of God's grace and what God has been doing in their life. And I have become away so encouraged to hear their story of God's grace and to hear their heart for the church. And we want you to hear that. We know some of you know some of these men well, but you don't know all of them. Many of you are new to Gateway in recent years, and we want you to get to hear from them directly. So December 6th, hope you'll be here. You'll get to hear from all six of these brothers and hear their story of God's grace and hear their heart for the church. Then the following Sunday on December 13th will be when we actually have the election for the elder nominees. It'll be a ballot vote just for members here present on campus in the service that morning. And if you're not able to be here that morning, you can come by the office to do a ballot vote during the week leading up to that. But that's how things are going to move forward with this. It's been an exciting process, and I'm just thrilled what the Lord is doing. And I hope you'll be praying for these brothers and praying for the church as we move forward in the elder nomination process. Now, one last announcement that I'm super, super excited about. Ethan, if you want to pop the slide up for us. Gateway is debt-free as of Wednesday. Yeah. That is cause for celebration. We paid off by God's grace the gym building, the new building, <laughs> this last Wednesday. It was a more than $1.1 million investment back in 2009. The youth, the church family saw the need for more education space for the kids' ministry and for the youth ministry and for adult Bible studies. And so you guys took a step of faith in 2009 and took out a more than $1 million loan to, for the gym building, for what we still call the new building 11 years later. But by God's grace, because of your faithfulness to keep giving during COVID, we were in the middle of a pandemic, and you continue to give to support the ministry of the church. And the many of you who've given so generously to the building fund over the years to help pay off that principal, we were down to just 15000 left on the gym building this Wednesday, and our elder team made the decision to go ahead and pay it off so we can start the new year debt-free as a church. So thank you, Gateway family. We have much to rejoice in. And I hope you're just encouraged. My heart is full. My heart is overflowing. It's seeing God's faithfulness to us as a church family from the elder candidate and the nomination process to being debt-free. Just what God's doing in your lives as I hear what the Lord is doing. My, my heart is full this Thanksgiving season. And thank you, Gateway family. I hope you are encouraged in what the Lord is doing as well. Now, as we prepare our hearts to sing to the Lord this morning, I want you to stand as I read God's word for us. We're going to introduce a new psalm this morning to you called Faithful One. We sing about the faithfulness of the Lord. And so I just want to read to us from Psalm 145 as we focus our hearts and minds on the Lord this morning. Psalm 145, starting in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Friends, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind is all his works. Let's celebrate the faithfulness of God this morning.
Uh, chapter real quick as we just got through singing, singing this song about being adopted and being sons. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thrown to leave the God I love. 
adopted us, God, into your fold, Lord. You have made us your sons and your daughters, God. You have healed our broken hearts, God. You have rescued us from ourselves, God. You have rescued us from our sins and have seated us in righteous places with you, God. Father, thank you for your grace that you so richly lavish on us, so that we can sing songs like this, God. Because of that hope that we have in you, God, that yes, our chains are gone. And we are free, God. Because you have made us free, God. And only you can break those chains, God. God, we praise you in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Anyway, family, we get to do a baby dedication this morning. So Shannon, Alicia, and Ian, and big brothers can come on up here too. Come on up here, guys. Okay, turn around so everybody can see baby Ian here. There we go. <laughs> hey guys. Well, if you don't know the Jong family, this is Shin and Alicia, and you've got Noah and John David here, and now baby Ian. So they have been blessed by the Lord with three sons and we get the joy as a community of faith to join around them this morning and doing a baby dedication for baby Ian here. So now why are Shin and Alicia and the big brother standing here with their baby this morning? Because fundamentally they believe and understand what it says in Psalm 127 verse 3, that children are a heritage from the Lord. 
Shannon and Alicia understand that their children do not belong to them, but are given by God to them to raise for such a time as this, that they're entrusted by God as a blessing, as a gift, but as an awesome responsibility to raise in God's ways. Shannon and Alicia are also following a beautiful example you see in Scripture. If you think back to 1 Samuel chapter 1 in the Old Testament, when Hannah prayed for a child and longed for a child, and God gave her one, and in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 28, she says, I have lent him to the Lord. That Hannah understood that her son did not belong to her, but really belonged to the Lord. And so she gave her son back to the Lord. That's the picture of what we're doing today. And then saying our children belong to God, not to us. That we're just entrusted to raise them in God's, God's ways. And that's the heart behind what we're doing today. So for a baby dedication at Gateway, it's really more of a, I guess better could be said, as a parent-child dedication. Because we're making a charge to Shin and Alicia from Scripture with some a charge for you guys. And then it's a charge to you, the congregation, because we're a community of faith together. And so we're going to start with a charge to you, Shen and Alicia, and these things. I want to read two scriptures for you first, just so you can hear the plan of the Lord for you and for your family. I know you know these, but I want to remind you with these. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. That's God's plan for you to have a home to where you guys fundamentally love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And where the gospel and God's word permeates all that you do in your interaction with your children. But also jumping over to the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, there's a command for you here as well. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that you guys have been tasked by God to bring up all three of these boys. No, we're focused on Ian this morning, but all three of these precious boys and the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And just remind all of us, these are not just tips. These are not the newest fab parenting strategy. This is God's unchanging plan for how he wants his family to operate. So, Shannon Alicia, a few questions for you, and I know you guys will, so I know your heart behind this, but I want the church to get to hear these from you. First of all, do you guys desire by God's grace to love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And do you guys desire to have a home by God's grace where the gospel permeates all that you do and where the word of God is at the center of it all? Yes. yes. I know you do. Do you recognize this day that Ian, along with other boys, are gifts from God and trusted to you to raise for such a time as this? Yes. <laughs> and do you commit this day by God's grace to teach Ian God's ways, bringing him up in the training and the instruction of the Lord? Yes. I know you do. Do you commit this day to regularly pray for the day for Ian, that Ian will trust Christ and that he will be used by God mightily in this generation. Yes. I know you do. I know you pray that for your others as well. Charge for the congregation as well, because this is a community. We are a community of faith, and having children, having multiple children, is such a reminder of our need for grace and our need for one another. So Gateway family, will you agree to regularly pray for Shin and Alicia, for the race Ian, and as we prayed before, but for David, John David and for Noah as well, will you agree to pray for them that they will have God's grace to shepherd their family well? And we agree to pray for Ian that he would trust Christ in early age and walk with God throughout his life. Yes. And congregation, will you agree to come along Shen and Alicia in very practical ways to encourage them and help them as they raise their three boys? Yes. I know you will just remind you, we make this commitment every time a family stays up and want to encourage you to keep that at the forefront of your prayers and your thoughts as you encourage the families of Gateway as we seek to do these things. So we want to pray for you guys, and we want to, and I left Ian's new Bible on my desk this morning, so I will give it to you after the service. So sorry, Ian, you don't have a Bible to chew on right now and hold like you know, some of the kids like to do, but I will get you Ian's little baby Bible when the service is over today. But I'll, let's pray over Ian and pray over this precious family right now. 
Father, we are so thankful for your grace, Lord, everything we're just reading about, the task to shepherd our families and to train up our children in your ways. God, we are inadequate to do that on our own. Lord, it's such a humbling thing to realize you've entrusted to us children, and so I thank you for Shannon and Alicia, and I thank you for their heart to have a home where the gospel is at the center of all. I thank you for their heart to have a home where scripture is bathed over their kids and to where they read scripture and pray about scripture. Thank you for even the way that Shen has told me about their family devotions recently at night, the way they're reading scripture together and singing together as a family, and we pray that would continue, that their heart for you would just grow, their heart to keep your word before their boys would keep growing. And Lord, we pray particularly for Ian this morning as we have prayed for Noah and John David before that, Lord, these would be men who would make a huge difference for your kingdom. God, that you take this boy, this little boy Ian, and he would grow in your ways. You bless him with a strong mind and strong ability to communicate. And Lord, he would use that, Lord, not for self, but for you to make you known, to speak the word of the Lord, to share you with others, and just to be a, a mighty force in this generation. And Lord, we pray for much grace for Shin and Alicia as they seek to just keep the gospel before him. And Lord, we pray for Ian this morning. I think of the prayer in Colossians 1. I pray that this would be our prayer for Ian and for the other boys as well, that they, as they grow up and as they trust in you, that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will, Lord, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, or fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We pray for Ian that he would be, as he walks with you, as he gets older, that he'll be strengthened with all power according, God, to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And so, Lord, we just commit this sweet, precious family into your hands. Thank you for them. Pray your blessings upon them and blessings upon baby Ian. And we just rejoice with them right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And Julia just rescued me for forgetting the Bible. Here is baby Ian's brand new baby New Testament. And so we rejoice with you guys. William Fox is one of our elders here, and he's going to lead us in a time of intercessory prayer right now. look around at each other for a second. Okay, we're going <clears> to, <throat> I think that'll, where we're, where we're going, what I want to mention in particular uh, is related to that. Father God, we look around and we see all the adopted brothers and sisters that we have um, in our family, in your family, and uh, we we thank you for them. They are all individuals, as, as we are ourselves, and uh, yet you love us uniquely. You love us uh, in, in who we are and who you've brought into your family specifically. And you desire us and to shape us and to form us into the image of your son. And uh, you're going to, we will all reflect that character, but we'll all look different and we'll all have uniquenesses and gifts and talents that you've provided us with and help us help us to look for that help us to appreciate that help us to submit to that as you are working in our lives I think of this song that I've been listening to myself a lot that starts how how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that 
he would kill his only son to make a wretch his treasure. You, you see us as treasures. You see us as, as worthy of the cost that, that, that you paid. And uh, we don't see ourselves that way many times, and we don't see others that way. But help us to have eyes to see others as you see them. Help us to appreciate and to share love and to share truth with them. We go into the holiday season when we see folks who come off of hard times with election things, and we, we have not carried that same thought in mind. Help us to see those around us as, as, uh, as, as you would have, as, as members, in many cases, of your family, and brothers and sisters uh, of, of ours that are adopted into your family as well. We thank you for uh, who you are. We thank you for how you work in us. We thank you for what you've done on our behalf. We are unworthy of it. Help us to appreciate more and more that each and every day. We come before you and we bring uh, hearts that are heavy with different uh, concerns. We have health issues and issues with sickness and the COVID that are going on. We pray for, for individuals that we know and individuals that we know of via the news that are suffering with this. We just pray for their, them and their health. We pray for their family, that you'll be a comfort to them as they're dealing with this. We pray for folks that are dealing with this in hospitals and nursing homes and such where they can't have their family there to support them and help us to lift them up uh, as they go through these difficult times, especially folks that are older that may, may not understand all of what's going on. We just, we just pray for them. Help us to be a, a prayerful encouragement and support in what ways that we can. We pray for our government leaders, uh, the, the mayor, Mayor Reeves, and Governor Ivey as they make decisions about how to handle issues for our state and um, if things are changing there, we just lift them up and we just pray for them and the, and the folks that work with them and the, and the medical folks that they, they uh, have as advisors that they are making wise decisions, wisdom, decisions that, that you would have them make on the behalf of the, the people of this state and the people of this city. We pray for our national leaders that they are doing the same at that level as well. We lift up to you the the spiritual health of, of people that are around us. We pray for people who are working through the Baptist Mission Board in different parts to minister to and to evangelize and to bring bring you and your word and your truth to folks around the United States. We lift up to you in particular work that's done in um, Clarkston uh, over on the east side of Georgia, which Atlanta, that has an enormous international population. We pray that ministries that are reaching out to for those people from all over the world are bringing truth to them, lifting you up, lifting you high. And we pray that they will they will see truth that you bring people to yourself as a consequence of that. We lift up to you, uh, Dwayne Rembert, who's able to join us today and pray for his work and how you're using him uh, in his church, in Flatline Church in Chisholm, to bring the gospel, the good news to there, uh, to the folks that live there, and to the, we just pray for wisdom on his on his uh, part as to how you would uh, work in and through him there that he would be sensitive to your spirit and he would he would hear you directing him exactly what he is to say and what ways he is to minister and uh, we just we just pray for him as he as he works and ministers there on your behalf we lift up today to the offering that you 
if you are collected or collected uh, online and it is being deposited there, we just pray that you will multiply those those funds. We know that uh, we thank you that we've been able to, as a church, pay off the mortgage, and that that's exciting. We just pray that you will multiply those resources and, and use them for your glory in whatever direction uh, that they that they are taken. Just help further your kingdom, help this church to reflect Christ. Jesus Christ out into this community in a clear in a clear manner. We lift up Grady as he opens your word this morning. We pray that we will not hear his words, but we'll hear your words, your truth spoken to us through him. And we thank you for uh, your blessings. We thank you for uh, your, your, your truth that we have an opportunity to hear. Help us to have sensitive hearts to hear what we need to hear specifically through that time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, William. If you'll find James chapter 5 this morning, James chapter 5, as we continue our journey through James's letter. Now, while you're finding James chapter 5, I want to ask you, have you ever heard someone in the middle of a trial ask the question, where is God in this? Have you ever heard anyone ask, if there's a God, then why is my life so hard? Or have you or another believer you know ever had similar thoughts? I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I'm in a hardship. Where is God in the midst of this? Does he not care that I'm hurting? These questions are not new. These questions have been asked a long time. In fact, they've been asked even in the Psalms, in Psalm 42, verse 3. If you think about that, the psalmist said in the psalm of lament, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Apparently the people that James wrote to had similar type questions. If you've noticed throughout this book, there's certain themes that keep coming up over and over as we've been 38 weeks working through this letter. And one of the themes that keeps coming up is the theme of trials and sufferings and hardship. And apparently James's readers were struggling. We know they were in the midst of persecution. We know it was a very difficult time to be a follower of Christ. And they were struggling, so they obviously were asking some of the same questions that the psalmist asked and the other people had asked. Where is God in the midst of all of these trials? We find ourselves right now in the middle of a section of James, in James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, that we've been looking at the last two weeks and continue today and we'll continue next week as well. And it's a section, if you want a title for it, that's just simply Patience and Suffering. It's Patience and Suffering. Two weeks ago, we saw how we patiently endure with eternity in view. We saw two weeks ago the importance of looking not just to the problems of now, but to eternity, to our forever home with God, the day when all the wrongs will be made right and our sufferings will end, and how that helps us actively wait in the meantime. Last week we saw the interjection that James inserted here because as we're walking through pain and suffering and hardships, it's easy for us to take it out on one another. And so we saw last week the command that we're not only to be patient waiting for Christ's coming, we're also to be patient with one another while we wait. And so he keeps bringing up this theme of patience and suffering throughout this section. That continues this morning as we look at verses 10 and 11 today. As we read our verses this morning, I want you to look for the answer to the question, where is God in our trials? Where is God in the midst of our trials? Let's look at James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen for you. James chapter 5, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. God, we thank you that you've not hidden yourself from us, but you have revealed yourself to us so clearly. 
And God, I pray today that your word would come alive to us, that your Holy Spirit would fill us and give us eyes to see and eyes to be able to understand your word this day and how it applies to our life. So use your word to grow us and make us into the people you desire for us to be, Lord, and we'll give you the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. So where is God in our trials? Here's what I want you to see from James 5 this morning. Simply this, that God is not indifferent to our trials, but is with us and working in those trials. So where is God in our trials? He's not distant. He's not unaware. He's not uncaring. He's not indifferent. Instead, God is on his throne. He is sovereignly working in the midst of those trials to bring good to us and good to others, to glorify himself. He is working in those trials. But where is God in the trials? He's, yes, he's on his throne, he's bringing good, but he's also right here with us, showing us compassion, showing us mercy, walking with us as we seek to walk in faith through the hardships of life. God is not indifferent to our trials, but is with us and is working in those trials. Now, friends, that idea, that truth is incredibly countercultural. That, that truth is incredibly unnatural to how our flesh would like to think. It is not our default perspective. It is not what a skeptical world around us says when they see people suffering. This is not the natural response. So I want us to unpack that this morning and see the beauty of this truth from James 5. Let's start with where we started the last two weeks. It may sound a little bit like a broken record here, but it's the same starting point. The last two weeks, this section of suffering and trials. But this, this point, this reality is that we will have trials in this life. As we seek to walk with God in this world, we will have trials. And friends, we must start there again because it's so easy to lose sight of that truth. It's so easy to believe the lie that God wants us to have an easy, affluent, prosperous life. It's so easy to order our lives around the idea that we want God to bless us and all these things of material abundance and health and that we'll never have these type troubles. But Scripture confronts us with a different reality time and time again. And here we see it once again. Go back to verse 10 of James 5 this morning and notice how he starts off. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Now, this phrase suffering and patience, our English doesn't quite do justice to this because when I see suffering, I see the word and and patience. I see two different ideas there. But in the Greek, this is a type of construction to where it's really just one idea. It's one idea where the words define one another, where the words explain one another. So it's really one thought here, not two. A more literal translation of this verse would be literally as an example of patient suffering. So the idea that James is trying to point out is not patience over here and suffering over here, but the idea of patient suffering or, or suffering and being patient while we're suffering. And he gives us people here. He tells us about people who've gone before who patiently suffered. And notice this phrase here. He begins with as an example. Now, friends, an example is something you're supposed to copy, right? An example is something you're supposed to model your life after and you're supposed to imitate, now, notice what James is saying, because we don't like this. This doesn't make us feel good here. But he's saying you are going to need to copy those who patiently suffered. You're going to need to imitate your life around those who have patiently suffered. Why? Because you're going to suffer as well. That every single one of us will face different types of hardships and trials as we go through life. Friends, like we've seen over and over again in different places in Scripture, it's not a question of if we will have trials. It's a question of when we will have trials trials, when we will face hardships. And this is true for believers. Notice the, what he says here at the beginning of verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, what's the next word? Brothers. This is James's favorite term of affection for the church, for believers. It includes men and women. It's for all believers included in this. He's speaking to the church here. 
that we need to have examples of patient suffering because we're going to have hardships in life that will require us to be patient as we suffer as well. Friends, there is such a lie that floats in American evangelical thought called the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be rich, and God wants you to have no health problems, and God wants you to have an easy, affluent, wealthy life, and that's so contrary to what all we see throughout Scripture, that the brothers and sisters of the church need to be prepared for suffering and patience, for patient suffering, and he gives us examples of that. And to help us with this, James gives us two very specific examples of patient suffering. If you remember from last week, we said that patience and suffering, I defined it as active waiting. That patience is active waiting. You're seeking to do the good things you can do while you're waiting on those things outside of your control. And he gives us two examples of people who were patient in their suffering, who actively waited, who kept doing the good they could do while they were waiting on the things outside their control. The first example he gives are the prophets. So look back at verse 10 here. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take, consider, think about, look deeply at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now who are the prophets, friends? The prophets are those people in the Old Testament who spoke on God's behalf to his people. They're the people who stood up to God's people in Israel and said, thus saith the Lord. And friends, what normally followed was not happy news. God wants you to have more money. That's not the typical message of the prophets. The message of the prophets was more, you are in sin, repent. God is about to wipe you out, wipe out your city, destroy you because you have turned your back on him. The message of the prophets was hard messages from God for confronting sin in the lives of his people. Now, as such, friends, do you think they were very popular? No, they weren't, because they're bringing direct words from God to his people, and they were often words of rebuke. That meant that the prophets who loved God, who were faithful to God, who walked with God, endured suffering because they were doing good. They were endured hardships because they were seeking to be faithful to God. Their faithfulness to God did not keep them from hardships. Rather, it brought on hardships because people didn't like what they were hearing. Now, James doesn't give us any examples here, because remember, he's writing to Jewish background Christians. When he says the prophets, these Jewish background Christians knew immediately this whole list of names would start going through their mind because they'd come out of the Jewish culture. They knew the Old Testament well. They knew of the prophets. But the Old Testament can seem removed to many of us today. So I want to give you a few examples of perhaps who they had in mind when James talks about the example of patient suffering, of active waiting of the prophets. For example, take the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 3. Notice what Jeremiah says. Again, thus saith the Lord. He's operating as a mouthpiece for the Lord. God is speaking through him. And notice what his prophecy is to the people. This city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. That's not a happy message for you. That's not a message of prosperity. He's giving them a warning. They've turned from the Lord, and so he brings this hard message. So do the people like to be told that, that they're about to be defeated? Of course not. So what do they do? They take it out on the person who brought the message. So jump a few verses ahead to Jeremiah 38, verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the cistern. That was a well, the well of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern and only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. Got the picture in your mind? He is faithful to God. He's speaking God's words to God's people, calling them to repent. They don't repent. He tells them what's going to happen. They get angry, and they lower him down into a well so he can die sinking into the mud. He gets rescued eventually, but the point is, he was faithful to God but had suffering as a result of it. But there's others that these early Jewish Christians probably had in mind when James tells us to consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. There's a prophet named Micaiah during the time of King Ahab. And notice what Micaiah does, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19. 
And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Again, he's the mouthpiece. He's seeking to faithfully share what God has said. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab? That was the evil king at the time. They may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. So you see God's plans unfolding here, that judgment is coming. And one said one thing and one said another. Then verse 21, then the spirit came forth and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. Verse 22 here. The Lord said, by what means? He said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. So Ahab has all these prophets who are going to tell him what he wants to hear. They're the false prophets, and the Spirit entices them to now lie. And he said, you are to entice them, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, there's a whole sermon for a whole other day on what's happening in heaven in this scene. That's more than we can get into this morning. But the point here is you have the prophet Micaiah who is who's going to speak and tell what's actually going on and warn the people why the false prophets are giving false prophecy. Jump down to verse 26 and look at what happens to this. And the king of Israel, did he like it? No. So the king of God's people didn't like this. It says, seize Micaiah, take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. Verse 20, and thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. He's saying, God's prophecy is not going to come true. I'm going to be victorious. I'm not going to fall. No one can stop me. And this prophet who dares to speak these things against me, go give him meager rations. Basically starve him with limited bread and water. In prison. Micaiah sought to be faithful to God and to warn, and it alienated him in prison with meager rations. How about a prophet was more well known? The prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. You know this story well, probably from growing up if you've been in the church a long time. You have this situation here where the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaining against Daniel. Daniel was a man who loved God, friends, and who walked with God. So they tried to find a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. So from a human perspective, you have a guy who they, no one can find any fault in. You would expect this to be the guy who gets the easy life from God, right? This guy is so walking in holiness that the people who want to find a reason to trap him can't trap him because he's so close to the Lord. But friends, that doesn't free him from suffering. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So what happens, they convince the king to make a law that it's, a, it's basically a crime to pray to do and besides the king. So Daniel knows that. He knows the law, but Daniel chooses to do what is right. He chooses to put himself in a place of potential suffering by doing what's right. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, the suffering comes. The king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And in verse 17, a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signets of his lord, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. We know in that situation the story to where God protected Daniel and the lion's den. The point is, though, you had a prophet seeking to speak in the name of the Lord, and it led him to being thrown into a den of dungeons because he was faithful to God. These are some of the examples that would probably come to the mind of James's early readers when they hear this, consider the prophets. And if we want to summarize them all, there's so much more we can say. Hebrews 11, 36 to 38 gives us a great summary of the prophets. And notice the list of what the prophets endured. Others suffered mockering, mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves, 
of the earth. These were people who loved God, who were being faithful to God, who were speaking God's words on God's behalf, and they went through all sorts of suffering, even as I said in the previous verse, being sawn in two. Friends, for such a reminder, God does not ever promise us an easy life. Rather, we see examples here of people who responded with patience in their suffering, with patient suffering, with active waiting. These were people who kept doing the good God commanded while they waited on situations outside their control, being thrown in the bottom of of a cistern to sink in the mud, being put in prison with meager rations, being thrown into the den of lions. These are people who had to patiently wait for these awful situations outside their control while they kept trying to do the good that God had commanded them to do. And I love that phrase. It says, they were people of whom the world was not worthy. Because they kept loving, and they kept loving God and loving people in the midst of all the afflictions coming to them. That's the first example James gives us here, back in James. The second example he gives us is he's told us not only to consider the prophets, he tells us that we're also to consider Job, the steadfastness of Job. Now, who is Job? Do you remember Job from Old Testament studies before? Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And notice that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So again, friends, with what the lie that gets pushed by the American church so often is if you're like this, God's going to protect your health, he's going to protect your money, he's going to prosper you, and you hear this lie being pushed, just be faithful to God and look at what he's going to give you in return. Here was a man who feared God and turned away from evil. And what did he get instead? His enemies took his oxen, his servants were killed, Fire from heaven killed his sheep. His camels were stolen. And his seven children, who he loved dearly and prayed for, all got killed when the house collapsed on them. My friends, we all walk through different hardships. I'm not aware of any of us in the Gateway family who have endured that. We've had everything of ours destroyed, stolen, and our entire families killed. And how did Job respond to this? Job chapter 1, verse 20. We see this incredible response. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he what? He worshiped. Okay, that's about as radically countercultural as you can get. He's just lost everything, including his seven kids that he loves, and he worships. Verse 21 that follows. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But it's not over for Job yet. He himself starts getting sores all over his body. He's in incredible pain, and he's in such rough shape. His wife looks at him and says, Just curse God and die. And what does Job say when he's in physical pain himself with all these other afflictions? His wife is saying, just curse God and die. What does he do? Job chapter 2, verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we, notice this, not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. He is in excruciating pain that few of us have ever felt. All seven of his kids he loved dearly are dead. Every possession he has has been wiped out, basically, and he has nothing, no help, no family. Even his wife has turned against him. He is in excruciating pain, and in this he did not sin with his lips. Now, what follows in the chapters that follow for Job, another sermon for another day, are Job asking God questions. He laments, and we see this in the Psalms last year, this time of year, when we were studying the Psalms, and we saw the lament Psalms where people bring their, their, their confusion to God, and we see that God allows us and invites us to bring our questions to him. He's big enough for them, but these people like Job are bringing their questions to God in a place of faith, still believing in God, but asking God the questions of what's going on. And so Job and the prophets are held up for us. Go back to James chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, 
Think about this, friends. We consider, we think about those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We are told to consider Job. We're told to consider the prophets, how they remain steadfast, how they continue to patiently suffer, how they continue to actively wait as they walked with God in the trials. Now, why does James remind us of these examples? Why does he remind us of Job and Job's suffering? Why does he remind us of the prophets who went before that we saw like Daniel or Jeremiah or other prophets? Because James knows that there's a very real temptation for me and for you when life is hard to start thinking, where's God? Does God not care? If God cared, he wouldn't let me do this. If God cared, why am I enduring this hardship? And he knows the temptation to think that. But he also knows there's a temptation even deeper than that, and that's to think our trials are meaningless. This is pointless. What I'm going through has no point, and no good's going to ever come out of this. And both of those natural thoughts are very wrong because our trials are not meaningless, friends, and because God is not indifferent. And so James gives us these examples, this truth to correct that. God is not indifferent to our trials. Our trials are not meaningless. Rather, God is with us, and God is working in those trials. Now look at these two amazing truths to counter the lie that our hearts are so prone to believe when life is hard. First of all, God is with us in the trials. God is with us in the trials. Look at verse 11 here. Notice at the very end of it what he says. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose, Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Notice this word is there. It's really important. This is God's character. This is God's nature. God is by nature compassionate. God is by nature merciful. He, by his very nature, is a God of compassion. He shows empathy and love for people who are suffering. That means he is near to them. He's a God of mercy. That means he's not distant, but he's involved helping his people walk through the hardships of life. That God, by his very nature, his attributes, he is a God of compassion and of mercy. James is painting for us a picture of our God who loves us so that he's going to walk through the hardships with us. Like the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, I love this. Oh, that's also from there, but let me jump back to Psalms. Um, Psalm 30, I gave you the wrong one, Ethan, my bad. Psalm 34, 8 is good. Taste and see the Lord is good, right? Blesses the man who takes refuge in him. But Psalm 34, 18 tells us the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's not distant. He cares when you're going through a hardship. He cares when you're suffering. He is near to you and he saves the crushed in spirit. His compassion, his mercy is very deep and very real. Can I remind you one reason it's so deep and real? Well, obviously God knows everything. He's God. But he also has experienced, not just in his knowledge, but he's experienced himself suffering because he humbled himself to the form of a man, what we're about to celebrate Christmas, the Emmanuel, God was, and God entered into human experience, and he experienced suffering at the hands of his creation. The God who is sovereign is also a God who has suffered in his own creation. I mean, think of what Christ endured. He endured hunger. He endured sleepless nights. He endured fatigue. He endured mockery. He endured people slandering him. He endured rejection. He endured even crucifixion. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 tells us, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you a what? Leaving you what? There it is again, an example. We not only have the example looking back to Job and the prophets, we have the example of Christ we can look to so that it, you might follow in his steps. Friends, again, here's another one of those verses that obliterates the prosperity gospel. 
You've been called Christians to suffer, and we follow not only the example of the Old Testament prophets and Job, we follow the example of Christ himself who suffered for us. And so God can show us compassion and mercy in the hardships of life because he understands. He has walked the road of suffering like we have to walk through too. So God is not indifferent to our trials. He is with us. But there's a second truth to help us through the hardships that we see in the example of the prophets and of Job, and that is that God is working in the trials. God is not just with us in the trials, but God is working in the trials. Friends, the lie that Satan wants us to believe is that our trials are meaningless. Our trials have no purpose. This is just, there's nothing good that will come out of this, but God is sovereign. God is big, and so he's working in our trials, bringing purpose and redemption to the hardships we walk through. Go back to verse 11 again in James 5. Behold, again, this is huge. He's saying, notice this. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and notice this, and have seen the purpose of the Lord. Wait, wait. Do you remember what I just talked about what Job went through? He lost his kids. He lost all of his possessions. His wife turned on him. He lost everything. And we're told here in verse 11 that there was the purpose of the Lord, that Job's trials had purpose in them. That God was working in those awful hardships that he endured. And friends, we should not be surprised by that because James has told us before. James chapter 1, verse 2, we saw this many weeks ago when we began James. But in James chapter 1, verse 2, we're told to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because in verse 3, so you know the testing of your faith. Okay, there's purpose now in these trials. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Then in verse 4, we're told to let steadfastness have its full effect. Trials have purpose because there's an intended effect. And as you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's the same thing we've seen when we've looked at in other sections on trials before, but Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul tells us the same thing, a really well-known verse, but I want you to see what follows it. We know that for those who love God, okay, how many things? How many things? Yeah, not just the good things, but all things, the hardship, the suffering, the trials, all things work together for what? For good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now it goes on in Paul's writings. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Notice this conforming. There's purpose even in the hard times. God can take all things we go through to conform us to the image of Christ. Or that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us... Who can be against us? So even in the trials, God is not different, indifferent. He's not distant. God is still for us, bringing purpose into the midst of the trials. And he is so big and so sovereign, he can redeem all the mess and brokenness of this life. Look back at verse 11. Look at how crazy this gets with what James says. Behold, we consider those, what's this next word? We consider them blessed. Oh, wait, wait. Did you hear what I read about Job? And Job is now considered blessed? Do we think about what happened to Micaiah, and he was blessed? What happened to Jeremiah, and he was blessed? What happened to Daniel, and he was blessed? And that's what he's laying out for us. To be blessed is to be, receive a blessing from God. It's a beatitude. One author I read this week said, A blessing is the smile of God rest upon such a life. If you're blessed by God, the smile of God rests upon your life. That means Job had the smile of God on his life? As he was being afflicted? Yes. That means Jeremiah had the smile of God on his life as he was being tossed down in the mud to sink in the mud? Yes. 
I mean, Daniel had the smile of God on his life. He just got tossed in the lion's den. Yes, we go on and on through all these examples that these have been laid out for us that we consider them blessed who remained steadfast. That raises the question for us this morning, the last question, how in the world are these people blessed in their afflictions? And how are you and I blessed and have the smile of God on our lives in the midst of our own hardships? I want to give you three ways. There's so many more we can say, but three simple ways in the morning that we are blessed by God as we experience His grace to be steadfast and actively wait in the trials. Number one, in the trials, we come to know God more fully. In the trials, we come to know God more fully. As we walk through the hardships of life and we see God's purpose at work, as we see God with us in the hardships, we discover more and more the depths of His grace, more and more the depths of His power, His character, and His sufficiency. Isn't that what we see all throughout our study of Psalms? We went through the Psalms. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, is just one little glimpse of this. God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble that we've come to discover that God is our help, that God is all that we need. And yes, we saw that in Job as well. Let's jump ahead to Job chapter 42, verse 1. I want you to see Job's response after he laments to the Lord, and there's some sin even in the way he laments, but he does go to God, honestly, in his things. And then Job answered the Lord, and once the Lord has rebuked him and corrected him and given him the right perspective, he says, then Job answered the Lord, and this is what Job says, I know that you can do all things. So here he's recognizing God's omnipotence, his power, and that no purpose... Of yours can be thwarted. So again, stop and pause here. That here you have Job who's just endured all this suffering, and he notices that God's no purpose of God's can be stopped. He sees purpose in what God has done. Verse three, he carries on. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. He's confessing a sin here. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Now, verse four and five. Here and I will speak. I will question you. You make it known to me. Now, look at the big conclusion of all this. Verse five. I had past tense heard of you by the hearing there, but now. My eye sees you. Job has come through all that affliction to know God more fully. He said, I've heard of you, I've taught of you, I believe you. Job didn't lack faith. We see that in the way he walked through trial. But at the end of this trial, and God does eventually restore a lot of things to him that that's never promised to us, he says to God, now my eyes see you. He has a spiritual depth of understanding of God he did not have before the trials. God uses the trials so we know him more fully. Second of all, in the trials, the trials remind us that this is not our home. God uses the trials to remind us this is not our home. Friends, my heart and your heart so wants to anchor this is forever and wants to live like this is forever. And we lose sight of heaven and we lose sight of eternity. And God uses the trials to break us free from the idol of making this life our forever home. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 gives us a glimpse of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... He's caused to be born again to a living hope. And I hope that's what you see in the midst of the trials. We don't have just a dead hope or a past, but we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, and notice what this hope is in. To an inheritance, that's what's still to come for us, friends, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Nothing you and I have today on this earth is imperishable, undefiled, or unfading. But we have something awaiting us in heaven that is un- imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5 who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That this is not our home, but our home still awaits. This is the truth that James wants to see that we saw just a few weeks ago in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of 
the Lord. So God uses trials so we know him more fully. He uses trials to free us from living like this life is everything. But one more, God uses the trials to help us help others. God uses the trials to help us help others. He works through us in the trials to minister to others. Our trials open a door to be a mouthpiece for the Lord. As we patiently suffer, as we patiently wait, God gives us open doors for others. What type of open doors? To non-believers, to point them to Christ, and to believers to encourage them. Notice he gives us open doors in our trials as we patiently suffer to point non-believers to Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. I guess I'm going to preach through 1 Peter one day because he's quoting it a lot recently. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be... What's the next word? There it is again, friends. If we suffer, we are blessed by God. Have no fear of them or be troubled. Now notice where he goes with this. And this is part of the blessing we get in the midst of the trials. In your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to one who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do you see the connection here between suffering, patiently waiting, the blessing of God and evangelism, making Christ known? That when we go through hardships in life and we endure with joy and we still seek to actively wait and be patient and do good while life is hard for us, non-believers around us would go, what is up with that you? How are you able to have a smile and have joy in the midst of all you're walking through? And we are told to be ready to give an answer in that time. That God will take the trials that we go through so the gospel goes forth to other people. But not just to non-believers. God uses our trials and suffering to encourage other believers as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Now, when you talk about getting the abundant life, that's not what most people are going to cling to, is it? That we are to share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Verse 6, he goes on there. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure, there it is again, the same sufferings that we suffer. Do you see these constant themes in Scripture, friends? This call that the Christian life is not a life of ease, but is a life of hardships. But as we patiently endure, as we actively wait, as we do the good God calls us to do in the midst of the hardships, we now get to comfort other believers. As we patiently wait in the trials, God not only gives us open doors to make Christ known to non-believers, He gives us open doors to build up the church and encourage other believers. So God blesses us in the trials. We get to know Him more fully. He reminds us that this is not our home, and He gives us open doors unlike we'd have at other times, to make him known to non-believers and to build up other believers. So back to my opening question, friends. Where is God in our trials? He's on his throne. He's sovereignly working, bringing purpose to them, bringing good to them, good to us, good to non-believers by the gospel going out, good to the church by encouraging other believers, and he brings glory to himself. And where is God on us in our trials? He's right here with us. He's near walking this with us, bringing mercy and compassion to us, giving us his very presence. God is not indifferent to our trials, but is with us and working in those trials. I'm going to ask you just one question this morning, friends. Is God's presence with you and purpose in the trials enough for you? Is God's presence with you and purpose in the trials enough for you? Or have we made an idol of something else? Have we made an idol of an easy life, an affluent life, or whatever American dream? Or is the fact that God has not promised us to be like, but has said, I will be with you, whatever you walk through, and I will use this for your good, the good of others, and, and my glory. Is that enough for us, or do we want something more? Friends, as you think about that, I want to ask you to bow your heads, and let's go into a time of prayer. But I want to read you something from Psalm 73 as we 
prepare to pray this morning and close out the service. And I pray this would be our prayer this morning as a people of God, that this would be what our lives would be like, and we'd be able to say in the midst of the good days or the hard days. Psalm 73, the psalmist proclaims, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Friends, can we say that? When life is hard and when we're struggling, can we really say that God is enough for us? That his presence with us and his work in our lives is enough for us. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength in my heart and my portion forever. He goes on a few verses later to say, For me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. Friends, do we see trials that way? Father, we are so thankful for your word. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you don't give us promises and assurance of an easy life. You give us promises and assurance of something so, so much better. That God, that you are sovereign, you're on your throne, and you are right here with us. That God, that you understand our suffering because you've suffered in all those ways and even more. And so you're here with us, walking with us, giving us your presence, your mercy and compassion, redeeming whatever hardships we walk through. And Lord, we confess this is not natural. We confess, God, that our hearts do not normally think this way. So we ask for much grace this week for, Lord, for these precious brothers and sisters, those who are in a trial this week, right now, today, that you would comfort them. They would sense your nearness in ways they perhaps have not in a long time. God, they would sense your presence and they would be anchored in the fact that you are sovereign and you're bringing good out of this in ways they may not even see till they get to heaven one day. Would you anchor them in that? Lord, for those who are not walking through a trial right now, Lord, would you guard us from thinking that this is how life will always be? Would you fix our eyes on eternity and heaven and to realize that, Lord, there may be hardships between now and the time we see you face to face, but that you are good and you're working. And Lord, we pray, even as we saw this morning, God, that you would give us open doors, whether it's a good day or a hard day, to make you known to non-believers. Would you give all of us an opportunity this week to have someone ask us about the hope we have in you and to be ready to make an answer for that? God, would you give all of us this week an opportunity to encourage another believer, to point other believers, whether we're in a place of affliction or comfort right now, to be able to encourage someone else and build up your church. So we thank you that you're so good and so near and pray you'll have your way in our lives this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
Your grace, so free, 
free in you, God, that death has been arrested. And God, we are free, the chains have been broken, God, and we have life with you, God. God, we have hope in you, Father, that we can, as we endure these sufferings and trials that come our way, God, that we can point people to you, Father, that the reason we're able to even go through them, the reason we even to make it through them, is because our hope is not found in things in this world, God, but our hope is found in you and you alone. So we can let them know the joy that is found and the salvation that comes from you, God. That this world is not our home, God. We're just passing through. And God, when you call us home, Father, we are able to see you once face to face, God. We will be able to worship around your throne, God. Worship you face to face, God. God, thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for your son bearing our wrath and our shame, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed.